Good morning. I, I think I have a question for your finance guy, Pastor Brian. Ask him, say, is his name Jim? Say, Jim, uh, where does this budget fall in the continuum on a regular bell curve uh, related to churches our size and also that believe the same things? <laughs> I think that would be a great question. And if he doesn't smell a rat, uh, in just a minute, uh, your audiovisual folks are going to uh, just roll a loop of some pictures while I'm sharing a little bit about the ministry. There's no particular rhyme or reason about the order of it. But um, I have the distinct privilege of being able to visit a lot of churches and speak in them over uh, the course of time. I, I'm in every kind of flavor and denomination, and uh, uh, occasionally I even speak at a church where a tie is required. So I do wear a tie once a year, whether it's required of me or not. Um, but uh, this is my third service here. And I just feel a little bit compelled to just start out with just a few words of wanting to let you know what a really good group of pastors you have. And the leadership here is just uh, outstanding. I've known Brian and Steve and Dave Early for over 20 years, and uh, you know if you go here, you've got the real deal, you've got good leadership, you've got men that aren't just maybe good preachers, they're good men. They're good Christians, and uh, amen. You have, uh, you have, I, I've only seen one of your three worship teams, but, but you know, you might take your worship teams for granted, but your worship teams, they not only prepare to lead you into worship, they prepare themselves. All you have to do is look on their faces, and I've been in prayer with them a couple of times here for these before these services, and they're already in tune with Jesus before they ever get here. That's, uh, that's the difference between performing and worshiping. So you need to really just understand that you've got some people who are investing energy spiritual energy to help you follow God and then there's those pieces that you don't see there's your your uh, your audiovisual departments and there's your your administrative your administrative folks have been working with me for six weeks on just how this service would go and what was needed and uh, uh, your audiovisual people are there for everything that I might need trying to get this countryman to be comfortable on my head uh, this uh, wireless mic and um, and then last sermon, I don't know Linda up there, but I know her name's Linda. Uh, I moved around a bit. I didn't follow my notes uh, in order. And you know, she didn't miss a, a loop, or I mean, she didn't miss a, a beat on it. So I want you to just remember that there are a lot of people that, and you are some of those people, that are doing some special things so that, so that God can be honored. So, Okay, well, that's free. Uh, I wasn't actually paid to say that by Brian, Pastor Brian. All of us, um, oh, let me talk about Victor Ministries, I'm sorry. Has that been going? Yeah, yeah okay. Um, we are 33 years old, serving the poor, helping people, trying to find impact, high-impact ways to just bring uh, ministry 
to people that don't have food, they don't have clothes. We, we have a, a, a counseling ministry that has uh, six interns, a counseling director, a clinical counseling uh, that ha- has actually moved into, uh, we are now counseling children traumatized by abuse. And uh, it, it's both heartbreaking and wonderful. It, it, and, and that's just something that's so special to be able to offer that. And we also offer to adults uh, that have been affected by uh, various levels of trauma, addiction, uh, and abuse as well. We tutor in the public schools. If you'd like to you know, be a tutor, you don't have a, uh, a tutoring commitment already, uh, we have 40 tutors right up the street at Cassidy Alternative Elementary School. And that'll begin again, training will begin in September, and that'll begin again in October. I'll tell you, if you can teach a child to read, you can change his life forever. I've been doing this a long time, and there's two things that I see that will really turn poverty around. One of them is an education for children and teaching them to read before the third grade. That is paramount. The other one is jobs for adults. Uh, On the natural plane, it doesn't really get more complicated than that. There aren't really deep, uh, there aren't always deep systemic issues. Sometimes it's just as simple as somebody needs a job and a child needs to know how to read. So you might want to be part of that. Um, My wife tutored in our program for seven years and I lived vicariously through her students. Life-changing, absolutely life-changing to teach a child to read. So anyway, if you want to uh, uh, link up with us. Many of you have. I see some of our familiar faces in this group and all of your pastors on a regular basis have been to Victory, delivered groceries, bagged groceries, been part of what we've done. Um, that's why you follow them because they're leading you uh, into service, which that's my kind of pastor. Amen. Uh, this is an interactive sermon. I respond to those that interact with me. So, like, if you get some amens over here, I'm going to concentrate over here or over here. So, so try, to, try to, if you want my attention, just give me a little something along the way. Um, I, <laughs> very good. This is great. All right. Um, all of us have things we don't like to do. I don't like to empty the dishwasher. I don't mind loading the dishwasher, but I don't like to empty it. I do both. My wife is here somewhere. Ask her. I do both. Um, I don't like the button, that little button on sleeves. Uh, any of the rest of you men or women, you struggle with that? I mean, if I have this shirt has the collar buttons here and then a button here, here, and I just dread it. I, I, I mean, maybe you think, why does he dread it? Well, there's something you dread too. I struggle with it is why I dread it trying to use my one hand, especially my right hand, I'm left-handed to get that done. Well, last week, two weeks, or two weeks ago today, I tried to contribute the pad of my thumb to a recipe. And I took, we have this real one sharp, everybody has one sharp knife. And we have one sharp culinary knife, and I was careless, and I mean, it went down, and I didn't feel a thing, but a big piece of my thumb went like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, oh, no. So I pushed it back, and, and praise God, it, it reattached, and I'm okay. But during the two weeks that this thing was, the, was healing, it was extremely tender, and I began to realize the value of my thumb. Even though I'm left-handed, 
this thumb is really important to me. It also is one of the main ones I use on my keyboard because I'm always hitting the space bar and I, I had to end up putting a brace on it to protect it because I kept ramming it into things. It kept breaking open and I had to get it protected so that it would heal. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, this little appendage on my body is really important. And how can you not think of 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul starts talking about the, the body being one? And that all the parts are important. And he uses hyperbole to say, how foolish would it be for the ear to say to the eye, I don't need you? Or how foolish would it be for the hand to say to the foot, I don't need you? And we get that. And we know that the body of Christ as a whole is important. We need each other. But not only do we need to understand that God wants us to operate as a unit, God wants us to operate doing certain things that he's leading us to do. The kingdom of God is not just arbitrary. And one of the things that I personally believe is very important to God, the title of this sermon is Loving the Poor. I believe it is right up on the short list of our God, loving people in need. So having said that, let's pray. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to uh, open our hearts for what he would have us uh, do this morning and here. In the name of Jesus, I approach your throne, Father. And I ask you to give me your words that I might share your truth. I pray, Father, that uh, all of us would be changed as a result of hearing your word. And, and Lord, you would just give us understanding. Uh, open our hearts and our minds to uh, the leading in the message of the Holy Spirit today in Jesus name so let me ask you a question what is important to you think about it for just a minute what is important to you now I can tell you what will help you kind of identify what's important to you and it's with T and M time and money where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money and you're going to be able to find out what's important to you now, there's not a right or a wrong answer. Whatever's important to you just is what it is. However, whatever is important to you defines you. Whatever is important to a person defines them. That's why it's important to understand that if you really want to get to know someone, you have to find out what's important to them, and you have to make that important to you. You wanted to get to know me, you would have to find out what's important to me. Now, on my short list, I have two things that are really important to me, and they both start with G. One is God, and the other is grandchildren. I have one God and six grandchildren. And if you wanted to get to know me somewhere along the line, you would have to engage me in those two topics. In fact, when I'm at my table following my wife and I, if you'd like to see the pictures on my phone of my eight-year-old grandson and the bass we caught Friday morning, I'd be happy to show you. I did have one or two takers last service that wanted to see the pictures, but they were really more interested in the fish than they were my grandson. <laughs> if you really want to get to know God, you have to find out what's important to God and make it important to you. And I can tell you right now what's important to God. People are important to God. 
Think of the price that God paid to create a connect to people. Salvation, redemption. We don't understand fully at all the price that God paid. Because God is God from everlasting to everlasting. He's the most magnificent of magnificent of magnificent beings. Never created, no beginning, no end. He's just God. But he allowed a part of himself to be mutilated and put to death by a bunch of angry Jews and Romans and then the sins of the world placed upon him spiritually so we could have sin broken off our lives and have a relationship with God forever. That's a really, really high price. There's nothing else God could have done. It's as if he was at a poker table with a mound of chips and he took everything he had and he pushed it to the middle of the table and he says, I'm all in. I have nothing else. I'm going to play this hand. Jesus is the only answer that it's going to be. There's not, not going to be an, a second. There's not a plan B. And at the end of the day, of course, Jesus won. and The devil was defeated. Did you know God has a vision? Just like you might have a vision, God has a vision. A vision is a goal or a dream. Well, God's vision is to see His table in heaven full on the marriage feast day of all of you and every race and every tongue and every tribe and every group and centuries and collections of people of all different backgrounds that's his reward of the followers of Jesus at that table. That's God's vision. And the reason that it is his vision is God is hopelessly in love with people. Now you or I look at people many times and we see what they are and we struggle. Or we see who they are. Or we, just, we don't like what we see and we struggle. God looks at people and he sees what they can be and then he pursues them. I'm so glad he pursued me. When it comes to people, by the way, God is especially mindful of the poor. I, I mean, it goes without saying that, that God is interested in every soul. Every soul. But someone that is poor, or they're in need, or they're just struggling, they have so many other forces working against them that God just extends more to that group. Now, from Genesis to Revelation, it amazes me how we've missed this over the years, but from cover to cover, God makes so much provision for the poor and people in need, and widows and orphans. It's just actually, there's, you take the topics of love and faith, and there's as much about helping needy people in this book as there are the topics of love and faith, which should tell us what's important to God. I went ahead and picked just three scriptures that aren't the normal ones we read when we talk about ministry to the poor, but I love Deuteronomy 24:19, where farmers are given instruction on how to make provision for the poor in the land. And Moses instructs them, and he says, when you reap 
the harvest in the field. If you forget a sheaf in the field, don't go back for it. Leave it for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord may bless you in the work of your hands. There are other places where the farmers are instructed not to harvest the corners of their field. It's where they get the expression cutting corners. Um, Isn't it interesting that our God talks to farmers and tells them how to harvest so that the poor and others in need will have a place to go to collect food? God thinks differently about things than we do. I think you've probably noticed that by now. Which is pretty awesome that God is God and we are not. In Isaiah 58, a very familiar chapter on fasting. Of course, all of those verses in those, those chapters of Isaiah right there are amazing about the Christ and about fasting and in Isaiah 58 he says is this not the fast that I have for you that you should deal your bread to the hungry Uh, fasting isn't for the purpose of denying the flesh you do deny the flesh if you've ever fasted before after you have fasted you know an an hour you think you're starving to death Um, we like food and uh, nothing wrong with liking food some of us like food more than others but it's just It's a part of our lives. You have to have it to live. But when you, according to Isaiah 58, when you fast, if you take that resource that you would have spent on the food and you give it to the poor, he says, is this not why I fast, to deal my bread to the hungry? Victory Ministries is founded on Deuteronomy 15.11. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. I command you, therefore, saying, open your hand freely to your brother, to your poor, to your needy in the land. That's our foundation. I mean, it's an awesome scripture. We say it this way. People have needs. God wants to meet the needs. And he wants to use all of us to do it. That's his plan. Why does God care so much about people in need? What does this group have in common? The poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, Folks that just don't have the things that they need. What is it that they have in common? They have no voice. They're in that part of society where they have no influence. They have no position. So God rises up and he says, I will be their voice. I will be the one that speaks for them. I will be their champion. Psalm 72 He will deliver the needy when he cries, and the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the needy, the poor and the needy, and he will save their souls. My favorite scripture, and I believe the most profound scripture in the Bible about ministry to the poor and loving the poor, is Proverbs 19.17. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who takes pity on a poor man, he lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him again for his good deed. Now, I know nowhere else in Scripture where God says, I'll become your debtor for doing anything. Nowhere else in Scripture. And sometimes we have to be careful as Christians to go along reading the Word, and you hit something that either is kind of like, 
man, I don't get that or I don't agree with that or that's just too hard to get my head around and we just keep going. I recommend when you find passages like that, stop. Camp out on them. Read, read them. Pray over them. This one needs to be read and prayed over. What in the world does that mean? He who, he who takes pity on a poor man lends to the Lord. How is it that the Lord becomes your debtor for helping a poor man? It obviously shows his heart and how much he cares. It looks something like this. I have, um, uh, the six grandchildren I have have come from my three daughters. I also have a son. And when they were in church uh, growing up, they went on mission trips like a lot of uh, uh, your daughters have gone on mission trips. I had three teenage daughters at the same time. Yeah, it hurts just to think about. Um, there's another sermon I have on inner healing. and <laughs> They're obviously special. I did notice one thing when they moved out. I had money in my wallet. Never had money in my wallet. I put it in there. It was just always gone when they were around. They all went on mission trips, and this is what it would look like. Your youth pastor here is uh, Brett Starr. Uh, you know Brett, and uh, it took me a long time not to call him Bart Starr. And, and, and the men know who Bart Starr is. Um, famous football player from a long time ago. When I was a little boy, so it was a real long time ago. And uh, let's say it's Brett. And I go to Brett. Brett, you're going to be taking my daughter Joanna with you on this mission trip. And I'm not going to be there. She's going to be 4,000 miles away. And I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to protect her, provide for her, and watch out for her. So guess what? It's your job. I'm expecting you to watch out and watch over my daughter. Now, if she gets in any kind of a jam... Something's wrong with her passport. She gets detained in an airport. There's a need for extra money. Anything like that. I want you to make sure you take care of it. When you get back, I will pay you back and I will bless you on top of that. But understand, I have a complete expectation for you to stand in for me because I'm not going to be there. Now, as a dad, you can tell I can share that with, with real feeling because that's how I feel about my daughters. And I want them watched over when they're that far away and they don't have me there looking out for them. This is what God is saying here. He's saying, I'm not their body of Christ, but you are. And if you will give them special attention and you will meet their needs for me, I'll count it alone. Wow. He said it. I'm not making this up. It's not just something we should skim over he said something profound here. This is how much it means to him. I'll tell you, I'd be very disappointed in any youth pastor who I gave that little speech to, and then he got on the airplane and goes, oh, he didn't mean it. Whoa, that would be trouble. And God means it. If you dig a little deeper, you drill down a little bit, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and that phrase there, he who has pity on the poor, it means he who stoops down in kindness. And that's what this means. It's not a patronizing pat on the head. It's not even a hand up. 
It's when you, you go down right with the person you're ministering to and you get down with them. And you look them levelly in the eyes and you say, I get it and I'm going to help you. And even if I don't get it, I'm going to help you anyway. And we're going to get up together. That's what that scripture means. He who stoops down in kindness with a poor man, a poor woman, someone in need, someone broken, and you lift them up, God counts it as a loan. Amen. That's powerful. If this is God's heart, it needs to be our heart as well. Loving the poor and caring for them. Now, what motivates us enters in here? Human need is a great motivator. There are 6,687 unreached people groups in the world right now. That's 3.2 billion people. An unreached people group is a group of people who have never heard the story of Jesus one time. Never heard it one time. There are ministries like Wycliffe Bible Translators and others who are aggressive in reaching these groups and putting uh, translations of the Bible into very obscure languages and uh, groups that they're finding in jungles. Uh, I don't know if you read any of the National Geographic and some of the other stuff that uh, comes out, but they're still finding people they didn't know were there. They need to hear about Jesus. Another thing that's a huge motivator is God's Word. I mean, I've been talking to you for a few minutes about God's Word, you, and you read the Bible yourself, and, and the Bible is this massive motivator, obviously. But it's one thing to reach out to the poor because of a command. It's another thing, and far more powerful, if you reach out to the poor to fulfill the command because of compassion. Now, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. It says it many times. And compassion moves you. Compassion is not a feeling. It has feelings attached to it. But compassion itself is not a feeling. Compassion, biblical compassion, is when the agape love of God hits you and you literally have a physical manifestation in you that moves you into action. It says in Matthew 9 that seeing the multitudes... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and they were downcast. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude. He felt compassion for them. Matthew 20, he was moved with compassion. He touched their eyes. This was the two blind men. Now where the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. It was the people's Greek. And that word there, compassion, is splancha where we get a derivative of the word, a derivative from that became our word spleen. Okay. Splancha is also translated in some places in the, the King James, bowels of mercy. You ever read some of that King James and you go, That's, what does that mean? Bowels of mercy. It means to be moved from one's inward parts. There are times when you and I find ourselves in situations, God-ordained, God-led situations, where there isn't time to plan, there isn't time to put together a formula to make something happen, there isn't the money, there isn't the resources or the, or, or the know-how, but you know I'm on this scene and somebody has to act and I must act. 
Sometimes we are moved that way. The most easy place to see it is with our families. You'll come on the scene. Somebody must make a decision. Somebody must move. Something must happen. You don't have the money in the bank and you still commit to it. We'll do it. We're going to do it. Because you're moved with compassion. Time doesn't permit me today, but I've had a couple of experiences over my life following Jesus where he manifested this in such a strong way, it literally left me stunned because he reached on the inside of me and pulled stuff out to just help others and love others, especially others who don't look anything like me, don't act anything like me, but he put me in this environment to do something with him. It'll change your life forever. There's three points I'm just going to make on loving the poor. There's probably 103, but I'm going to give you three. The first thing you do if you're going to reach any group or any person is you have to connect. You have to do something to connect. You know, over the last 20 years, there have been a lot of books out. Uh, one particular uh, one that was popular uh, from Steve Shogren from Cincinnati, uh, Conspiracy of Kindness, and basically it's a book about using outreach to reach people. There's books called uh, uh, Outreach Evangelism or Servant Evangelism, and I just kind of want to clarify one little point. Outreach is outreach, and evangelism is evangelism. They're both important. If you try to evangelize without making a connect, it's going to be cold, and it's probably not going to go anywhere. If you try to reach out and do outreach and connect, but you never bring the gospel, then all you've done is passed out a bottle of water or wash somebody's car. They're supposed to work together. I'm supposed to do something to find something you need and connect with you. And then somewhere along the line, I want to start talking to you about Jesus. At Victory Ministries, we use food, clothing, diapers, uh, any number of things that someone might need to build a connect it's completely no strings attached it's not like i'm giving you a bag of food now you must listen to my message about jesus it's just no strings attached but you would just be so surprised or maybe you wouldn't be surprised the opportunities that arise when you just love on people you know james 2 this is a very familiar scripture you know i talked to you about things that are familiar if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, be warm, be filled, but you don't give them what they need, he says, what good is it? This is really strong language. I love the way the Bible just doesn't sugarcoat. He, he basically is saying, what good is it? And I can answer it, no good. If a guy comes to me at Victor Ministries and he needs food, and I just pray, Hey, let's pray, bro. Then I just shut the door. He'd be, I thought, I think you guys help with food. I, I mean, I don't think he'd walk out of there going, oh, I had the most heavenly prayer. He'd feel ripped off, and he should, because we're supposed to meet those needs. What a very, very practical scripture you see, it really falls to us 
to find needs and meet them and find hurts and heal them. Uh, connecting is so critical if we're going to reach out to people that are going to need to be loved by us. In Mark 8, 35, there's a scripture that says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. This is a scripture that is one of those ones where we read it and we know what the right answer is supposed to be. So somebody says, do you embrace this? Do you support this? Is this, yes, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think most people pull that one out of their promise box. Because what we hear when we read that is we hear lose life, lose life, lose life. And it doesn't have necessarily a positive ring to it. I mean, if we're going to be honest about it, it just doesn't. But it's because we don't understand what Jesus is really saying here. If we had the revelation of what Jesus is saying, and let me rephrase it the way I see it. Jesus is saying, I got a better idea for you. And if you'll do it my way, and you'll come to me, and you'll let me retool things, we're going to go forward together, and we're going to have an awesome time together, and you're going to have an awesome life. As opposed to coming to me, and me trying to work with you, and you just go, no, God, I don't think so. I think I'm just going to keep on my own path. What do you lose? You lose the awesomeness of what God wanted to really bring. I think we hear the losing the life part, and we think about self-sacrifice and being deprived, and sometimes that stuff is involved. But that's not really what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is offering a new life. He's offering the gospel in your DNA. That's when it changes. That's when your focus changes. Amen. Amen. I will say this. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to regularly give away a piece of your life for someone else. It's just going to have to be a regular occurrence in your life. You're going to have to take time and money, emotion, it's messy to get involved and take risk in people's lives. Uh, it's a lot safer to stay cloistered and to, you know, have the blinders on and just try to avoid, keep, you know, straight ahead. But when you take that moment to stop, to stoop down in kindness, you are now dwelling where God dwells. The second thing you want to do is you want to love people where they are. And loving people where they are doesn't mean you always love who they are. It means you love them where they are. There's a difference. I grew up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I think maybe I've made a reference or two to Cincinnati. Uh, I mean, Janice and I have lived, uh, we've been married 41 and a half years, and, and we have lived nearly all of that time, except for two years, we've lived here in Columbus. So Columbus is, is completely our home. But I did, we, we grew up there. I grew up in a Baptist church, and um, my mother was a, a, a wonderful Christian and lived a, an amazing Christian life in front of me and my brothers and sisters. Uh, we lived next to the Baptist church. We lived in the parsonage. Uh, I remember finding out later in later years after my mom passed, and I was talking to my brother, I, I didn't realize we were poor, <laughs> but we were. <laughs> I just never knew it. Um, I, I'm sure there's a blessing in there. Uh, but the church subsidized our 
our uh, apartment, or it's a ha- it was a full house. It was a three-story house. Um, they subsidized us living there so we would have a place to stay because my father was out of our family when I was five years old. So I was at church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night my whole life up to eight, 18 years old. And um, I had 11 years of perfect attendance pens, um, and I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian at all. And don't ever let anyone tell you that who you run with isn't really that big of an influence because it's not true. I started running around with a couple of kids that were way off the reservation. And by the time I was 13, 14, 15, I was heavily involved in drug and alcohol abuse until by the time I was 19 years old, uh, just getting ready to come to Christ, my life was a train wreck. So in the later years of my teen years, and I had my own car, you know, I got my own job, bought my own car. And uh, my brothers and sisters quit going to church, and it hurt my mom so much that I kept going. I just went for her. There were girls there, too. And uh, I continued to, you know, go to church with her. But here's the thing. I'd be out partying until 3, 4, 5 in the morning. And by the time I arrived at church, my eyes were still glazed over and bloodshot. I still smelled of whatever I had been involved with. And you're thinking, well, what's this got to do with anything? What it's got to do with it, somehow these Baptists just acted like I was special. Now, they were family friends. They changed my diapers. They saw me go from a bright-eyed little boy to a kid that was really in trouble. But they just kept treating me like I was special. I never once thought I wasn't in their eyes. And so when it came time for me to make a decision to follow Christ, I could never use the excuse, oh, I don't want to be like those Christians down the street. Because the truth is, that's exactly who I wanted to be like. I remember sitting around the campfire with my buddies. We were obviously doing illegal activity. And I remember looking over the campfire and going, hey, fellas, if we died right now, we'd all go to hell. And I remember one of them said, you are such a bummer. (laughs) But I knew the truth. And another one of my friends who also went to this church, we both sat there and talked about how one day we wanted to be like these men. All these years later, I can't tell this story without thinking, gosh, I want to love like that. I want to take the people that are the hardest to love don't deserve it. I mean, I'm a dad. I'm very protective. I would have been probably pretty concerned if I saw me walk in. Somehow these guys had a handle on what was really important. And so when it came time to, um, you know, make that decision, it wasn't hard. The hard part was I had to yield to Christ, but I never thought for a second I didn't want to be like that. You'd think after three services I could get through that. It just touches me. Compassion is a tall order. 
It's a very tall order. But it's just done by walking with Jesus. It's not rocket science. You know, you just, you just spend time with God. You worship. You pray. You serve. You work through your, you navigate through life. There's nobody in this room that has been exempt from the pain that life brings. Some of us more than others, but I mean, life has got some real pitfalls. And I'd hate to go into one of those valleys without Jesus holding my hand. I love the mountaintops. Mountaintops are yippee-yay, but they're not all mountaintops. The final thing we do, we have a chance to love the poor. We want to connect. We want to love them or anyone in need right where they are. And then we want to tell them the story of Jesus. See, you, you show Jesus. For us, it's food and clothing and interacting. And then you share Jesus uh, by actually giving the gospel and helping people to follow him. So what makes all this possible? Well, the Bible says in the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. We have to spend a lot of time just loving him. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then from that relationship, that vertical relationship, the horizontal one of loving our neighbor as ourself becomes the reality. Love God, love your neighbor. So, in closing, basically, we love God, we love our neighbor, we love the poor. I'd like you to pray with me. I just want you to, I want to ask you in your own way to open your heart to what God would have you to do to respond to those in need around you. It may not be the center of hope. It may not be um, something you already even know about, but there's, there's needs in your neighborhood. There's needs where you work. There's needs in your family. There's multiple ministries reaching out to every possible group you can think of in this city. Your your community liaison outreach director, Cindy Schmidt, go tell her you got a little bit of time. She'll give you a book on things you can do to participate. You have an awesome gift in your church in Cindy Schmidt. So I want you during this prayer, I want you to think, how does God want to use me? He wants to use each and every one of us to do more than the status quo. Just think if everyone in this room just reached out to one person. It could be, a, it could be the, the girl at the cashier at Kroger, Giant Eagle, Panera. It could be uh, uh, somebody at your work who, man, are going through just this really terrible time, and you kind of step in and say, hey, how about I, I brought a casserole for your family, just kind of take some pressure off. There's just so many things that can be done to connect and build that bridge. Or you can just get... You know, hook up with a ministry like us. We'll put you to work. You'll, your first day, you'll be in contact with people uh, helping to make a difference in their lives. So let's, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, uh, life is real. Needs are real. The poor are real. And uh, those of us that have been blessed and we, we're in a position, you know, just a more blessed position, Help us to see the responsibility to help 
others who don't have what we have and to share and to look for ways to be a blessing. God, lead us into the fields. They are white and ready to harvest. We're ready. We're available. We are available. Use us, God, in someone's life today. Amen. Thank you.